1: All comments, views, and opinions expressed are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. In the next hour, Terry and her guest illuminate how right now there is more reason than ever for individuals with autism spectrum disorders and their families to have the best hope for the brightest future. Through education and conversation, there is hope. Here's your host, Terry Oranga.
2: Hello, and welcome to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel and this program, Autism One, a conversation of hope for Tuesday, May 15th. I'm your host, Terry Aranga, here with my guest, Jennifer Hutchinson, author of Unlocking Jake, the story of a rabies vaccine, autism, and recovery. Jennifer is an editor for an educational publisher and devoted grandmother to Jake, whom she helped recover from autism. We don't hear much about the rabies vaccine on this show, and I'm glad to be interviewing Jennifer today. Jennifer, welcome. Hi. Thank you. Let's get a little background. What year was Jake born, and how old is he now? Jake was born in 2002,
3: November 11th, um, so he's nine and a half.
2: Okay, and can you tell us about the whys and the hows of the rabies shots that precipitated Jake's regression into autism? Sure. Um, Back in the summer of 2006, it was June,
3: um, we found a bat in our house and it happened to be found in the room where Jake had been sleeping. And we actually caught it, and eventually we were able to have it tested, and it tested positive for rabies. And since you can be bitten by a bat without having a a bite that you can see, without necessarily knowing it, um, we were told that we all had, my daughter and um, Jake and I all had to have the rabies vaccines for that reason.
2: So uh, had you ever questioned vaccines before? What was your cost-benefit analysis here? Well, I can't believe I'm saying that
3: now, but um, no, I really didn't. Um, my grandkids were all vaccinated according to schedule. Jake was fully vaccinated um, through 15 months. Um, No, I can't say that I really questioned it. I didn't know much of anything about autism, and I really hadn't heard of the connection.
2: Let's go back to that, um, not having heard anything before. So you're a grandparent, Mm -hmm. and how are kids, have you noticed anything in general? How are kids in general different now from when you were growing up?
3: Well, when I was growing up, um, I never saw a case of autism, and you know, I went to school with a few children who were in what they called the special, special education class. Knowing what I know today about autism, they certainly didn't have autism. Um, I've never heard of so many children having so many disorders, um, not just autism, but everybody I talked to. Their child or their grandchild or somebody in their family has ADD, ADHD. They have asthma or they have allergies or they have a tick disorder. Um, children certainly seem to be healthier um, back in my day.
2: Yeah, and and mine too. You know, back in my day, there was like uh, one troublemaker in the elementary school and yes. one kid who was quiet mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. one kid who was obese.
3: Right, right. That's pretty much it. I could count on probably one hand the number I can remember, especially back to high school, the number of children who were what they called special ed students, and they did. Looking back, they did not have autism.
2: The the nurse's office was like the Maytag repairman. <laughs> it was quiet. Yes. Yeah, there wasn't a parade of children going in and out getting medication. mhm. Mm-hmm. That's true.
3: My mother, um, who passed away about a year and a half ago at age 89, she, when this happened to Jake, she, she said to me, she said, I'm 89 years old and I don't remember ever seeing a child or a grown-up or anybody for that matter with, you know, what I've seen as autism in Jake. Mm-hmm.
2: So talking about the series of rabies vaccines that Jake received, um, could it have possibly been... A bad lot? Um, That's a really interesting question
3: because a couple of years after we had the shots, um, my daughter, Anne, ran across a letter um, from the FDA online to the manufacturer, to Novartis, um, talking about a possibly contaminated batch of the Rabovert vaccine, which is the rabies vaccines that we had or a possibly partially inactivated um, virus. And in the letter, the lot numbers of the vaccines were redacted, and we tried to follow up and get some information on that, and we were unable to do that. Um, so it's it's certainly possible and probably something we'll never know.
2: All right. So I'm going to ask you about vaccine court. And I'm not asking you about that because um, I think you're a litigious person or anything like that. Mm -hmm. But all consumer products should have some form of redress if there's an injury. Mm -hmm. And so the Vaccine Injury Compensation Program was set up as supposedly a non-adversarial vehicle um, by which... Individuals who are vaccine-injured could seek compensation. Of course, it became very political, mm-hmm. and um, so cases you know, get thrown out and, and such. But um, was Jake's uh, predicament ever submitted to the vaccine court?
3: The research that we did on that, um, the Rapavert vaccine was not one of the vaccines that you can do that with so I'm not sure that we had any legal recourse along that line. Really? Really. I mean, as as much as I could find out, it wasn't one of the vaccines on the list for the federal vaccine compensation. Wow. Wow. Yeah, and it's not a vaccine you hear about very often um, with anybody linking it to autism i since my book was published, I have had letters from people who say their children um, developed autism after a rabies vaccine maybe two or three it's not it's not something you hear every day that's for
2: sure It's a series of vaccines. what was his progress through that series of vaccines? it was a series it
3: was a series of five um the first and second one, um, there didn't seem to be any problems. The hospital um, kept, they would always keep us for half an hour and watch us in case we went into anaphylactic shock. Then they had epinephrine on hand in case that happened. The third shot, um, which he had in the morning, he had a reaction to, he had a fever that night of about 102. Um, I couldn't wake him. Uh, when my daughter ran out to get some air thermometer covers for the thermometer, um, I was cuddling him on my bed and cradling him, and, and I couldn't wake him up. And when I finally roused him a little bit, he, his eyes kind of rolled in different directions, and it was absolutely the most terrifying thing of my life. Yeah. And we couldn't, his temperature wasn't dropping, you know, with the Tylenol, and um, so we took him to the emergency room. And he, he did wake up on the way, and the doctor said that that was not a normal reaction to a vaccine, that the fever was too high to be considered normal.
2: So did, was it that they were saying the vaccine was fine, it must be something else?
3: or They just said, uh, they were careful how they worded it, they just said it was not a normal react, reaction to a vaccine, and the one doctor um, actually said, if he were my son, and this happens on the next shot, the fourth one, then I wouldn't do the last one. But of course, you know, with rabies vaccines, there really are no contraindications. You know, rabies, you die. So that that wasn't it. wasn't like that wasn't an option. But um, on the next two shots, we didn't we didn't notice any problems. He seemed to get through them fine. No fever. We dosed him up um, with Motrin and Tylenol before, and you know, we didn't see any problems after that for a little while, anyway.
2: That's another thing for um, parents to watch out for. If they do um, weigh all of the evidence and information, um, is that they're, is that, and and go ahead and get vaccines. Often, doctors' offices had parents give their children Tylenol in conjunction with vaccines, mm-hmm. and now we know mm-hmm. that Tylenol um, affects. Glutathione levels and glutathione is yes. the body's major antioxidant, yes. helps the immune system. Not a good combination of Tylenol plus vaccines. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, you raised the question in your book, Jennifer, about, you know, was there anything we could have done nutritionally at the time mm-hmm. to have helped his body withstand these rabies mm-hmm. vaccines?
3: Mm-hmm. Yes, I, I, you know, I question that. Sometime later, I wondered if there was something we could have done um, to sort of prime the pump. So to speak, um, to minimize his reaction or lessen it or eliminate it altogether. You know, maybe with homeopathy and, and vitamins and something to strengthen his immune system while he was going through them.
2: Yeah, I think people use vitamin A and mm-hmm. vitamin C. Mm-hmm. Um, al- always um, with vitamin A, if um, if you're going to be doing uh, any sort of what would be considered a high dose, you mm-hmm. need to mm-hmm. check with a uh, with your healthcare professional. But Certainly, there are things that you can do nutritionally to help support the body's own ability to withstand uh, immune insults.
3: Yes, and I didn't know that. You know, I didn't question it at the time. I didn't know that until I was well into this process of my research that that could have been an option.
2: Right. Yeah, this should be something we all get in our baby bags in the maternity ward. Yes, Um, exactly. You know, instead of just advice about uh, about getting the shot. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, how did Jake begin to disappear?
3: Oh, my goodness! Um sometimes it seems like it was yesterday, and sometimes it seems like it was a million years ago. Some of it it was such a nightmare so it's a blur. Um, as well as I can remember and I started keeping a journal um shortly after he started changing, and as well as I remember, it was maybe two weeks, maybe as long as three, after his last shot that he just he just changed. He started um, he got very, very quiet. My daughter and I can actually carry on a conversation. Um, I often say this, and I know I've said this in my book, without saying, Jake, would you please just be quiet for one minute? Because he talked nonstop all the time. And he became very uncoordinated. Um, His eyes started turning in. He started sitting on the floor lining up his cars. He flapped. He walked on his toes. He stopped Calling people by name, he eventually started having meltdowns over everything. He was afraid of absolutely everything. He would—he was very floppy. If you picked him up, he just collapsed in your arms. He didn't take any of his own weight. He just—I um, mean—disappears is the word. I've never seen anything like it in my life. He just vanished. He just—you um, know—the child we had was gone.
2: But you and Ann brought him back, and we will talk more about that when we come back to the Voice America Health & Wellness channel with Jennifer Hutchinson. Thank you to our sponsors, OxyHealth and Superberries. We'll be right back. You're listening to Voice America
0: Health & Wellness. The Mayan calendar tells us that we will be entering into a 260-day opportunity for us to engage in conscious co-creation with great spirit. How will we prepare ourselves for this exciting and unprecedented time in Earth's history? Peter Tung has dedicated over 20 years of his life's work to exploring that which is beyond understanding. Peter will help increase your awareness and education on this enlightening transformation in consciousness. Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation airs live Wednesdays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on 7th Wave Network.
1: Call or log in and get help with whatever is sending you reeling whenever you need a soothing voice to calm and advise you. That's Dr. Carroll's Couch every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific time here on America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. Your
0: life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health &
1: Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga. If you have a question or comment, call us toll free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program. Here's Terry.
2: We're back with Jennifer Hutchinson, author of Unlocking Jake, the story of a rabies vaccine, autism and recovery. And Jennifer has a book signing on Friday, May 25th in the lobby at the Autism One Generation Rescue 2012 conference. That's less than two weeks away. Jennifer, do you have a website for this book? Yes, I do. It's unlockingjake.com. Okay, easy to remember, unlockingjake.com. Before the break, we were talking about um, Jake beginning to disappear. How do you know, Jennifer, that the rabies shot caused autism, or was it, you feel, a tipping point? Um,
3: That's probably something I may I may never know one hundred percent sure. I I can say that Jake developed um normally as as a baby and as a child. He you know he walked on time, he talked on time. Like I said before, he never stopped never, never stopped talking. And he yeah, you know, I could look back and say, you know, he was a tad quirky. I really think he had some maybe some sensory issues, sensory processing disorder. Um a tad you know, kind of fearless, taken to the playground, and she didn't watch him. He'd walk right off the jungle gym, um, didn't always seem to know where he was in space, which, again, I think tied into sensory issues. Um, but, you know, again, maybe maybe sensory processing disorder, but what happened to him after the rabies vaccine was definitely autism. It was night and day. This was, not, this was no longer a child who was just a little sensitive to this or that or who was a tad uncoordinated or who was a tad quirky. Um, he, he lost almost every skill he had. He, you know, he not only stopped talking, he stopped feeding himself. He stopped holding his own sippy cup. He stopped pottying. He basically just stopped everything except for, you know, lining up his cars and, and screaming most of the time and crying. So I have no doubt that the rabies vaccine did something to him. Now, could it have been his toxic tipping point because he was fully vaccinated? Um, he had about 30 va- doses of vaccines from day one. Was the Hep B vaccine through 15 months? Yes, but he had nothing else after that. He was so from 15 months to three and a half, there was nothing else. There was no other change in his life. There was no medication. There was nothing. You know, he. This was the only thing that ex- could explain what happened to him, and I watched it with my own eyes. I have no doubt that okay, the rabies vaccine point. did this.
2: Yeah, good point. 15 months to three years old. Nothing else changed. Mm-mm. No coincidence. So Jake was born in 2002. Yes. Allegedly the Marisol, the mercury-containing preservative, um, was supposed to pretty much be out of vaccines. Um, we now know that it's possible for kids to even end up with more mercury through yes. the shots currently on, this, on the um, roster and that even trace amounts can affect sensitive children or Mm -hmm. have synergistic activities with other ingredients, and we certainly know that bumping up the aluminum isn't good for you either um, if you bump down the mercury and bump up the aluminum. Mm -hmm. So do you think that it was a particular ingredient, mechanism, or a combination of factors?
3: What's interesting is um, there was no mercury in the Ravovar vaccine at least if there is, it's it's not in the um, package insert. So there is no mercury. Um, There was um, a bunch of other stuff, and the list doesn't readily come to my mind, but there was, um, I think, aluminum phosphate and then three antibiotics, um, including neomycin and genomycin, I believe. Um, So definitely a lot of ingredients. So... I can't say that it, it was any one thing. I, I've read some about those antibiotics that were in there, and they can be very harmful to small children. So I think it could have been a combination of the ingredients in the vaccine. And, and we could go back to he could have had a contaminated batch that we'll never know because we couldn't get any answers.
2: So these are some of the nuts and bolts of what happened. How does autism... Change life unimaginably.
3: Oh my goodness! Um, it it took over our lives. It. Um, I said this in my book. I, my daughter and I didn't discuss it for a very long time. We didn't um, let each other see. We did. I didn't see my daughter cry except for the day we got the formal diagnosis. I didn't see her cry for a very long time. I don't know when I let her see me cry. It became nothing else mattered in my life except to get my grandson back. Um, there was nothing I would have done. There was nothing that I wouldn't have tried to get him back. Getting him back was not an option, and I never let myself think that. I never ever wavered because if I if I moved one inch in that direction, I I would have lost it, and I couldn't have helped him, and I couldn't have been supportive of my daughter, who was a very young mom. And who I knew was losing it fast and it just became our goal, our only goal in life was to find out what you know, what had happened to him and how we were gonna get him back. And we weren't gonna give up never, ever. Nothing was gonna stop us.
2: Jennifer, you're obviously an intelligent person. You're an you know, you're an editor, you're a grandmother. What if somebody had said to you, just accept him as he is? The fact that you want to start on a journey to strive to improve his situation means that you're not accepting him. Just accept him as he is. What would you have thought or said?
3: Well, at the time, that would have been kind of like you know having a child with cancer, you know, or a terminal illness, and something that you could treat and that you could make better, and somebody saying, "Well, just accept it and and leave it," and It certainly, if Jake hadn't come as far as he had, of course, we would always accept him and always love him no matter what had happened. We've been very fortunate with the progress he's made, but um, accepting what had happened to him and not trying to do everything in our power to give him a better, happier life was, that was not an option. Just wasn't an option.
2: Because it wasn't genetic. You saw something happen to him. Oh, no, no.
3: He was definitely not born that way. Definitely not. And right. no, I watched it. I watched it with my own eyes.
2: Right. So it's unmerciful and inhumane not to help children with a medical condition, like right. you said cancer, mm-hmm. who have a legitimate biomedical condition, who can improve
1: mm-hmm.
2: and who do improve mm-hmm. and who do recover and who do lose the diagnosis because autism is a whole body, physiological condition, and children can get better, with the appropriate treatment with the appropriate medical oversight. So good to you and Anne for going ahead and proceeding on that journey for Jake. So what were his were his biggest fears and challenges um, due to sensory integration issues or other issues?
3: Some of them were really hard to understand. One of his biggest fears even after he started improving um uh was thunderstorms. Um, we lived in constant fear. Our lives revolved around the weather and when the next thunderstorm was coming, he was absolutely terrified. I mean, would shake to the point where he'd be so hysterical that we thought he might hyperventilate. Uh, We did end up with um, a couple of things we tried. One of them was a um, headset like Hunter's Wear and that did help tremendously and we realized that he had probably hypersensitive hearing and... What was thunder to us and could have been loud was just unbearable for him. But there were times when he was he was afraid of a lot of things, and um, but that that was the main thing. That and train whistles. I was petrified of train whistles, mm-hmm. even though they weren't that loud. So it's kind of hard to say why, but I think those were two of his biggest fears. Then he got to the point where nobody could come to the house. Nobody could come in the front door. He he would go in my room and. I'd find him on the floor in a fetal position, shaking and trembling and tr- crying uncontrollably, asking me to make you know this person or that person leave. Never really understood that, maybe never will, but he, he was
2: petrified. It's horrible to live in fear like that. More horrible for the child. Mm-hmm. Um, it's horrible for the family to watch. Um, my friend's child um, had a seizure on the school bus the other day. Oh, my and it went Through a lightning storm, um, there there can be fear of even having to to drive in the car at night because if there's an ambulance with flashing lights, the child could have a seizure. Right, that's right. Kids have photosensitive seizures. Mm -hmm. So it's it's a it's a very scary way to live. what was the first therapy that you and Anne started to use to try to help Jake?
3: The first thing we did, and we didn't realize we were doing it, um, actually turned out to be floor time, um, late Stanley Greenspan's method for helping to engage a child. And it was something I, I did um, instinctively. You know, I would go to work, I would go home from work, I would literally get down on the floor um which is why they call it floor time um with jake and you know sometimes i could get his attention sometimes i couldn't but if he he sat on the floor and i say this in my book because this was such a classic example he sat on the floor and lined up his cars i got my own set of cars out and i lined them up i did what he did and the theory was to get into his world and engage him through what he did, what he enjoyed, or no matter why he was doing it or why he enjoyed it or why he was compelled to do it, and then try to pull him back into my world. So I would do what he did, and then I would try to build on it with something else. And I I didn't know I was doing floor time until I went to a um, counseling session for my anxiety, and I told my counselor about this. And he got so excited, he he jumped up off the chair, and he went toward his bookcase, and he was like, Floor time, floor time, Greens fans, floor time. And I was like, what? <laughs> I didn't know what he was talking about. And he couldn't find the book, and he told me, he said, Get Engaging Autism, and that's the name of the book, and read it. And I got that book, and I read it over and over and over and over again. And Ann and I just started doing floor time. And he would say in the book, floor time, all the time, everywhere, anywhere, all the time, or something. And we just did it all the time in the car. You know, no matter where we were, we just we literally got down, we got down on his level and we did what he was interested in and what he wanted to do. That was the, that was the first therapy that I would say we did.
2: Wonderful. Kind of reminds me of Sunrise as well. Yes. You've
3: yes. Absolutely. And that was that was one of the movies I had seen about autism. With mm-hmm. a little boy, they they got in the bathroom and sat on the floor and. Yeah, he spun the plate, they spun the plate. Um yeah, I'm a, I'm a big fan of floor time because I, I saw results with it.
2: Yeah. And and Jennifer, you can actually meet Ron Kaufman. I have met
3: him. I met him yeah. at um I guess it was in AA in um mm-hmm. November. Yes, I did meet him and we talked a little bit about four time versus um the sunrise program it was very interesting.
2: Huh. Sounds like an interesting panel for a debate it's at a future. Autism line. <laughs> I'm game. We're going to talk about the other therapies. You use a lot of therapies, and we're going to talk about some of them when we come back here the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel with Jennifer Hutchinson. Thank you to our sponsors, Oxy Health and Superberries. We'll be right back.
0: Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. Every Weekend Take Some Time Out of Your Schedule for New Reflections featuring Dr. Adam Rubinstein. It's a show about all things aesthetic, from skincare to plastic surgery, health and beauty. You'll learn about the aesthetic products and procedures to embrace or avoid. Each show will feature live, virtual, interactive consultations that you'll be able to follow along with and featured guests from the world of beauty and aesthetics. Listen Saturdays at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific, for new reflections with Dr. Adam Rubenstein on the Voice America Health & Wellness channel. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health & Wellness.
1: Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga. If you have a question or comment, call us toll-free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program. Here's Terry.
2: We are back with Jennifer Hutchinson, author of Unlocking Jake: The Story of a Rabies Vaccine, Autism and Recovery and Jennifer, you used a lot of interventions to bring Jake back, floor time that you were just talking about, Mm -hmm. occupational and physical therapy, biomedical interventions, behavior therapy, auditory integration training, homeopathy, developmental optometry, just showing how all these things work together for the child. Do you think that they work together better in isolation, in a particular order, Um, Do they help each other, or is it different for each child? I think it's probably different for each child.
3: I I think there were times when we probably did too too many things at once. I know there was a point where we did the the auditory integration training, and at the same time we were doing some homeopathy, and at the same time we were gradually cutting back Jake's dosage of um, Zoloft that he had been on for low doses. For OCD and anxiety, and I kind of knew in my gut, my you know, as a parent, a grandparent, you you do one thing at a time because, well, for one thing, it's just it's better. You don't have a problem with several things at once. And then, if you do more than one thing at a time, you don't necessarily know which one worked. So, I think well, at times we probably did too many things at once. But I think to answer your question it was a combination of all these things that we did that helped bring him back.
2: Yeah. Um... Following up on your comment um, about when you do multiple things Mm -hmm. together, you don't know which one's helping. You also might not know which one's having an adverse reaction. And While we know that the biomedical therapies definitely bolster the educational behavioral therapies because Mm -hmm. they help the child be able to attend and help the child be in less pain, Mm -hmm. because you can't learn in a classroom while you're in pain. For example, when your tummy hurts. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. um, It is when you're doing something like starting supplements it's good to put some days in between each one so yes. you know how the child is reacting to each particular um, supplement yes that's true yeah so let's go through the different therapies
3: okay um one of the first things we started after floor time was um occupational therapy OT we got very we were very very fortunate with the way that worked out, because we found an OT um, in Winchester connected with a hospital. She contacted Jake's insurance company that was through his dad at the time and was able to get coverage for it, um, and this woman um, was just incredible. She she worked on all of his senses, um, his coordination, his um, visual issues, his you know, fine motor and large coordination um, skills. She w- came up with very, very specific goals. Um, we saw almost immediate improvement. and Everything she did with him was, it was all like a game. It was all fun and games. Um, she had us purchase things or get things, use things at the house that would also help him. So we had a home program as well. And, um, Pretty soon, our house looked like o t. We had a mini trampoline and which he bounced on and that seemed to calm him and sharpen him and um, I can't say enough about o t really It was amazing. We had a chalkboard on the wall for him to draw on. We had all kinds of things like sidewalk chalk and we did whatever they recommended um, we went and got and we used and it, it was an amazing combination of things. She helped him with, um, I guess, what you call skills of um, activities of daily living, dressing and undressing himself, um, socialization skills, um, like I said, all kinds of self-help skills. He was, you know, she got him to hold his own cup and eventually feed himself again and improved his coordination. Um, Eventually he was riding a tricycle and going up and down the stairs. Um, It was was incredible and she, she was so good. And he loved it. He absolutely loved it. So we did that for, I don't even know how long. I can't really remember. Well over a year, maybe two years. And um, that was very successful.
2: Okay, and after occupational and physical therapy?
3: Oh, let's see. Um,
2: Physical therapy wasn't
3: very long I think there were some things that were offered sort of through the OT. Hey, there's some physical therapy students who are working with kids, and so we did some of that, and he ended up getting in the warm therapy pool, which was very, very helpful. Um, We did the auditory integration training was probably one of the most difficult things we did. The side effects, as his senses were reawakened, was um, we went through a time that I refer to as hell, in the book, um, it was it was extremely difficult, very very difficult. Um, we did get through it. Um, the homeopathy, the detoxing that we did, there were also some very negative side effects of that. But what we got out of them were definitely worth it. I mean, sometimes you had to go through some really negative stuff to see the benefits. Let's see what else did we do? Um, like I said, we did the we did some Zoloft. Uh, I don't know if that was a good thing or not. Jake's O C D and anxiety were were severe at times and we were assured by a couple of doctors that a low dose of that, you know, had been proven to help children with O C D and anxiety. We did see, you know, improvement. Um, it could be that we eventually raised the dose too high and then started dropping in and then again we were doing too many things at once. Um, so we did we did do a lot of things. And I think I think all of them had their benefits, and all of them together helped him.
2: For children who are and these any significant biomedical intervention um, before beginning it or changing a regimen, um, you would want to consult with your child's treating physician, who monitors their overall health and who's really up to date. On the underlying uh, physiological issues that go into and the diagnostic label of autism, mm-hmm. whether they're immune or gastrointestinal issues, etc. Um, I don't mean you, Jennifer. I just mean people in general. Yeah. yeah. Um, and f- so, if there is a child who is sensitive to some forms of detoxification, um, then there are other forms of detoxification. Um, that, you know, don't necessarily use the same agents or maybe take a gentler approach. I've interviewed parents um, whose children have recovered, and I'll say, what did you use? And they used everything in the kitchen sink, and what helped? Everything helped. And then there mm-hmm. are other kids who uh, were sensitive, whose parents tried a lot of things, and they were sensitive to um, a lot of them. And only a few of those things help. So it's important to have individualized, personalized medicine for the child. And that's another reason that going forward with research, um, real research, not not Band-Aid or um, bogus research, is really important, but research that, uncovers what really caused the autism epidemic, and mm-hmm. it is an epidemic, and an, a, an epidemic can't be genetic. And so what causes autism, and then how do we address that in a way that recovers children and improves their lives and the lives of their families? So, I think you, that's true. Yeah. When did Jake really come back?
3: We saw a difference. Um after the first, oh, let's see, two or three months maybe, he started coming back, but then we went through, I want to say about two years, if not more, of regressions, which, and I say this in my book, but I'm serious, had had my daughter and I known at the time that the regressions, if somebody would have said to us, these regressions are going to continue like this for the next two years, I, I don't know how we would have coped and how we would have made it. They were horrible. You know, we would think everything's great. And then the next day or the next hour, the symptoms would reappear. He would become very quiet. You know, he would stop talking to us. He, you know, would start, I'd go home from work and he'd be sitting on the floor lining up. His cars, completely oblivious to everything around him, anybody, anything. And I have to say that that was one of the hardest parts, is to see your child, grandchild in my case, seem to come back. And seem, you know, 99% back to where he was before the autism and then have him go back over and over and over again. He'd take three steps forward and two steps backward. And it was, it was very, very frightening. And it took a very long time before I woke up one day and realized that, hey, this child's no longer regressing. He has different issues and he's, you know, maybe the anxiety is at an all time high and maybe he's going through the aggression and the anger, but he's not regressing. He's not losing skills. You know, it's been a very long time and it took a very long time before then I knew, I knew that he would never regress again. That the regressions were over. And that was the biggest relief, maybe the biggest relief of all. It was yeah. very, very scary.
2: It's an emotional roller coaster.
3: Oh my goodness. Just like nothing I've ever been through before, ever.
2: How did Anne and you cope through all the ups and downs?
3: Well, like I said before in the beginning, we we didn't share our emotions. If she cried, I didn't know it. If I cried, she didn't know it. Um, we we really weren't able to be there for each other because we were both just hanging by a thread. We were just barely surviving. It was very hard to be supportive of each other. And, because we were both, you know, just, like I said, hanging by a thread. If I broke, if I broke, if I lost it, you know, and I had a job to hold down. I was supporting the family. I had to do my job. I had to go to my job and do it and then go home and bring Jake back and take over from my daughter, who had been with him all day and was suffering terribly. So it was was very hard to be there for each other. It's kind of like I hear people talk about a, a couple who loses a child, and they're they're not available to one another emotionally it 's very difficult when you're going through that because all, all you can do is survive. We were just
2: surviving Mhm How is Jake doing now? Jake is fantastic um, he I
3: have to say, I was um, skimming through my book last night so I could remember things and order of things and topics that you might bring up and and I was crying like a baby <laughs> as I read the book. Um, He's come a long, long ways. Um, he has some remaining issues, um, but he—he, he, I want to say, you know, I would say Jake has Asperger's, um, definitely ADHD. Um, but he—he's back to the little boy who never stops talking, mm-hmm. who is imaginative and affectionate, and his sense of humor is is beyond anything I've ever seen in a nine-year-old child. His academically in school. Um, you know, they say they don't even know what to teach him. He's, hmm. like, so far advanced. He's being tested for the gifted program next year. Um, you know, he's, he's made some friends. He has some, you know, he's, he's a little socially um, immature, I want to say. Um, a little um, on the uncoordinated side um, physically. And um, he has some tics. It takes to come and go, different ones, different times. Not not sure about those. Not sure what the cause is or what that's all about. Um, But he's a very happy little boy, and um, and I'm so thankful that he never (laughs) stops
2: talking. He gets in trouble (laughs) at school for talking.
3: I love it. And um, he's you know he's he's extremely happy, and he's doing very well.
2: Yeah, Yeah, strong women, and uh, kudos to you and Anne and all the hard work that Jake has done as well. We will be right back from break here at the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel with author Jennifer Hutchinson, Unlocking Jake, The Story of a Rabies Vaccine, Autism, and Recovery. Thank you to our sponsors, OxyHealth and Superberries. We'll be right back.
1: You're listening to Voice America
0: Health and Wellness. Professionals and families who are dealing with autism face challenges that can lead to many questions. Questions about how to understand, communicate, and support each other. Every week, Autism Today with host Dr. Patrick J. Rydell will focus on dealing with the diagnosis and the day-to-day challenges of autism spectrum disorders. Dr. Rydell will combine his 30 years of experience along with featured guests from the ASD field to provide their insights and answers to your questions. Listen every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Health & Wellness. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness.
1: Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga. If you have a question or comment, call us toll-free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program. Here's Terry
2: We're back with Jennifer Hutchinson, author of Unlocking Jake, the Story of a Rabies Vaccine, Autism and Recovery. Jennifer, what could or would you and Ann do differently if you had it to do all over again?
3: Mm, We would not have vaccinated Jake.
2: (laughs) In general or with the rabies vaccine? Um,
3: Well, the rabies vaccine, you know, that was kind of rabies. People don't survive rabies. I don't know, Maybe six people have, but you die from rabies. I'm not sure that was an option, but we certainly wouldn't have done all the vaccines that he got as a baby. 30 doses, you know, from a day old to 15 months old. It's insane. We definitely would not have done that.
2: And you feel like the experience with the rabies vaccine um, staved off what might have happened to Jake if he had gotten all of his school shots?
3: You know, I thought about that. I thought to myself, you know, this he was three and a half when this happened, and had he gone to preschool either when he was four that fall or the next fall, and this hadn't happened, you know, unless something else had happened, um, I'm pretty sure we would have taken him in and dutifully, you know, gotten his vaccines. You know, he would have needed like 12 or 15 doses. And I think, you know, maybe the outcome probably would have been a lot worse. Than it was, you know, with with the rabies vaccines. And um, what's in one thing I like to add is what's interesting about all this is that nobody who's ever heard Jake's story, and I say this in my book, but I think this is really important. Nobody has ever said to us, "Oh, it was a coincidence." Oh, good. And so many people hear that um, about children after, when they regress after the DTAP or the MMR or another shot. Right. We never, we never heard that, and I'll never forget um, when we took Jake in for his. I, probably his four-year-old checkup, and, or before he went to preschool, and the pediatrician looked at us and kind of halfway jokingly, halfway, you know, smiling, said, uh, I guess you don't want any shots today, do you? I mean, they saw what happened to really? them. Um, now, these same doctors have thrown out patients who won't vaccinate. These exact same doctors um, have, you know, discharged them. That's happening all over the country all the time. But all the people who worked with him, all the therapists, and there's a pretty long string of people, you know, never we never heard that. Um, we heard, you know, there's no link between vaccines and autism. We heard that, but um, we never were told that it was a coincidence. And because he was older, than I know some kids do develop autism at that age, but sort of older than the norm, and there was nothing else going on, as I said earlier. It was pretty much a clear-cut picture.
2: So what would be your take-home message to parents of kids on the spectrum or kids who weren't on the spectrum?
3: Wow, um, I would definitely, um, for people who are on the fence about vaccines, um, I would definitely do a lot of reading. Um, I just published an article about a week ago on Back Truth, um, called a guide for a parents' guide to pro-vaccine doctors, and it was you know a list of questions to ask your doctor about vaccines and things to find out for yourself. And if I had to do this all over again that's what i would tell people first of all before autism comes along you know um, do your homework do your research read you know question the studies look at the studies and and you know if they're funded by mark you know question the um, you know people say oh i have no financial you know interest in this study well you know if they work for mark i'm afraid they do so you know open your mind open your eyes and ears talk to other parents read everything you can get your hands on question your doctors look for doctors who are open to you know, alternative schedules or no vaccines. Um, and if you have a child on the spectrum, just never, ever give up. Just keep trying, keep trying.
2: Absolutely right. And again, where can listeners look for more information?
3: Um, they can go to my website, unlockingjake.com, and um, they can order the book through there or through wordclay.com. And I publish the book on it. Uh, it's a print-on-demand online publisher and they can always go to my website and contact me personally.
2: And they can see you at your book signing, because Jennifer has a book signing on Friday, May 25th in the lobby at the Autism One Generation Rescue 2012 conference. Less than two weeks away, and you can register for the conference on-site at the conference with five days and 150 presenters. We hope to see you there along with Jennifer.
3: I can't wait.
2: (laughs) Thanks for being with us today.
3: Thank you so much.
2: Good work with Jake. Thank you to this program's sponsors, OxyHealth and Superberries, and to our listeners, thank you for tuning in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel.
1: Thank you for listening to Autism One, A Conversation of Hope. To contact Terry or get more information, visit autismone.org. Tune in next Tuesday for another hour of education and conversation on Autism One, A Conversation of Hope with Terry Aranga.